The Bible reading tonight comes from Galatians 5, verses 6 to 26, and I'm reading from the NIV. <coughs> Sorry, 16 to 26. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Katie. Uh, well, is... Okay, we'll see how we go. There seems to be a bit of an echo too. I'm not sure if that's being heard by you guys, but I'm certainly hearing it here. Well, good evening and uh, welcome. It is great to be back, even though uh, the way we gather has actually changed. Uh, I'm very excited to be before you. I'm a little disappointed that this has fallen at a time when um, I'm about to go on holiday. So Elena and I and the kids uh, will be leaving the building uh, to this evening and we won't be back. I won't be back for a month. So it's uh, three week Sundays. I'll be back the next Sunday after that. But we're heading off to Cairns and uh, I'll let you know straight up I will be ignoring my phone and my emails uh, if it's an absolute emergency please leave a message and I will get back to you very rapidly but I'll decide if it's an emergency or not um, but yeah we are really looking forward to this break there's been a lot that has had to happen in order for us to come back here so I'm going to ask personally that you uh, pray for Peter uh, Peter McCulloch and um, just uphold him in prayer and certainly Mark Rain as well who've been very actively involved in making all this happen they've been an incredible blessing so please uphold them in prayer there's still a lot of things to do we're going to have a debrief tomorrow to see about what we need to do better uh, in order to make these services more manageable and uh, certainly um, we should be praying for uh, Kim Cowan too who's been thrown in the deep end only starting a couple of weeks ago and had to help organize all this as well so please keep those people in mind. As I prepared this message, um, I struggled to uh, come up with a main idea which was relevant for us and certainly was relevant to the Galatian church that Paul wrote to. But the one thing that kept recurring as I went through this was, uh, can I just have my slides up please? Thank you. So, so the, the one thing that kept recurring was, uh, are you walking by the Spirit? And, and so I, I'm thinking that as we read through these 11 verses, this is the constant question that continues to echo through everything that is said. If you're a believer reading this passage of Scripture, you couldn't ignore that the question is, are you walking by the Spirit? And the opposite of that is, if you're not walking by the Spirit, then you're gratifying the flesh. And so we have to be very careful to ensure that we're examining ourselves constantly to see if we are walking in the Spirit. And it's not just a monthly checkup. 
It's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment thing that we should be doing. So it's a call for each and every one of us. And my desire as a Christian, first and foremost, is to follow Jesus in such a way that I draw closer and closer to him each and every day. My desire as a pastor at SDBC is to encourage, build up, challenge and spur you on to do exactly the same thing. That's why Elena and I are so passionate about discipling people. We want people to walk closer to Jesus. But what I desire and what I want is totally irrelevant when it comes to you. Because I can only encourage you. I can't force you. I can't make you. It's a choice and decision that you have to make yourself. Are you walking in the Spirit? And this is the command that Paul starts with in this section of Scripture. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And the call is to live or walk by the Spirit. The word translated walk or live here is the same word that's used in Romans 6.4, which talks about this new life that we have in Christ. It's a life that is in total contrast to our old life. Our old self has been buried And we've risen to new life in Christ. And it's a word that suggests a continuation, a constant progression. And it's like, um, as I said before, it's that daily moment-by-moment challenge to make the right choice, to choose to follow Jesus, to choose to do the right thing. And if we do that, if we walk in the Spirit, then there is no way it would be totally unnatural for us to want to gratify the flesh. And so it's a call to avoid doing that. Not through observing the law, as we learnt last week, but by living by the Spirit. And quite simply, if we walk in the Spirit, it will be natural to not gratify or fulfil the desires of the flesh. So to walk in the Spirit, Holy Spirit must be living in you. So this is something that is impossible for non-believers to do. They might try and follow a whole heap of rules and regulations, but they simply cannot do what Paul is calling the Galatians to do. But if we are walking in the Spirit, if we say that we follow Jesus, if we say we are committed to Him, then our lives should be so fundamentally different that people will see the transformation. People will say that there's something different about us. We are counter to the way the rest of the world lives. And as Christians, we'll be open and sensitive to the promptings, guidance and influence of Holy Spirit. Our desire will be no longer to follow the pattern of this world or be conformed to this world. But in submitting to Christ, we'll be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We will no longer think the way we used to think. And we will be prompting and guided, prompted and guided by Holy Spirit. We will seek God's will and purpose for all of our lives. And He will guide us in the way in which we should go. He will speak to us about the temptations we are facing, that we should turn from those. That's the difference between us. And those who don't know Jesus. Let's just pause and pray. Father God, I thank you so much that we can gather tonight. I thank you for the people who are online with us as well. And Father, we just want more of you. I want more of you, Lord. Will you speak to us tonight? Will you reveal to us the truth of your word? And will you let us engage with that?
Will you give us a willingness to submit ourselves afresh to you for your will and your purpose? Lord, I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. And I trust that's the prayer for each one here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said before, we've put to death our old selves. And we've risen to this new life in Christ. But that doesn't mean everything is going to go well for us. And I think as, as we think about the way we live, the life that we have, everyone would be able to testify to that. Paul was living, a living, breathing example of someone who struggled. And when we think about his life, I mean, we cannot deny the fact that he committed his way to the Lord. He desired to follow Jesus. He lived this incredible life that I can only hope to live half as well as what he did. And yet his life was far from ideal. He had shipwrecks, he had imprisonments, he had beatings, he had opposition and so much more. But he also struggled with his flesh. He faced temptations, as we all do. And as he writes this, he knows what it's like. And so he says, this is an ongoing battle. It would be so good if when we became Christians, we were just elevated from this world and we were taken to be in glory and we could be perfected. But that's not the way it works. And I'm greatly encouraged when I read through Scripture. And there are many passages that indicate Paul understands this struggle. Paul understands this battle, the battle that we face. He says it so clearly in Romans 7. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he's talking about this desire, this want, this need that he has to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But then his flesh seems to fight against that. And so he's got this battle that is going on. He wants to do the right thing, but he doesn't seem to be able to do it. And clearly, when you look at these words, Paul struggles. It's not easy for him either. And if it's not easy for someone who I think is absolutely fantastic, I've got to be honest, I elevate him above humanity, which I shouldn't do, but I just think this guy's an awesome apostle. And if it's so difficult for him, why would I think it's going to be any different for me? Why would you think it's going to be different for you? And the reality is, this battle's ongoing. And I think that's why Paul shared about his own life throughout Scripture. It's what he tells the Galatian churches as well. He says this battle that is going on inside each one of us is between the flesh and the spirit. They're opposed to each other. They are never going to get on. They are never going to be reconciled. Not until that day we stand in glory when we are perfected. While on this earth there is going to be constant conflict and there's going to be times, just like for Paul, where it seems the flesh has the upper hand. He didn't live the way he wanted to at times. And there's times I don't live the way I want to. And I'm sure it's the same for you. And we find ourselves feeding the desires of the flesh and the many different guises that that actually has. But what we need to realise is our old self has been crucified with Christ. Our old self is dead and gone. He no longer has control over us. This inner man that we now have is not our old self. And it's not the new man we are in Christ or new woman. It's, it's this nature that exists apart from both of those things. And this man or this woman, inner man, inner woman, is trained in rebellion by our old nature 
by the world and by Satan himself. And Paul says to the Galatians and to us, the result of this conflict is that you don't do what you want to do. The reality is that you want to do what is right, you want to live for Jesus, but the sinful nature pulls the other way. It's not possible for them to live in harmony together because the sinful nature desires and resists anything that is of God. And they are the works of the flesh. And Paul has told us that this battle that we're going through is an internal one. It's invisible to anyone. And no one knows what each of us are going through. You're sitting there. You know the battles that you face. Sometimes we don't know them. They only get revealed to us as we ask God to reveal them to us. But we all have this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And even though that battle is internal, sometimes and a lot of the time, the results of those battles are outwardly evident. Those who have not come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who don't call upon him as Lord and Saviour, are still trapped in sin. And this list clearly reveals the end results of the works of the flesh. The flesh, or man's sinful nature, is also responsible for taking that which God intended as a blessing, that which God intended as good, and corrupting it, using it for evil, using it for bad. And when we stumble as believers, we do the same thing. Now, this list is not exhaustive, not by any means, but it's still quite comprehensive. And there are sexual sins that are actually part of that, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. It's taking the act of sex, sex, that which God created as good, that which God created for pleasure within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman and it's taken that, it's defiled it, it's corrupted it. That's what the flesh does. And Paul is speaking against all kinds of sexual sin, adultery, engaging in sexual relations with a married person who is not your spouse, fornication, engaging in any sexual relationship outside the marriage, using prostitutes or other consenting adults, impurity. And this is the word that is used to describe sexual sins outside that of physical intercourse. It's impure speech, suggestive language, things with double meanings. It's the thoughts that people have which could not be considered pure before God in a sexual manner. And then there's sensuality. And this is often translated lewdness or licentiousness. And it's referring to those people who flaunt their sexual immorality. They have no sense of shame. They have no restraint. They're not embarrassed. And it's like they seize every opportunity. They're ready to sin in this manner. None of this, not the thoughts, not the acts, none of this would be something the Holy Spirit encourages people to do. Then there's the sins of religion, idolatry and sorcery. And sorcery is often translated witchcraft. And Paul is talking about the service or worship of the occult or spiritual powers apart from God. But what isn't clear here is that the root word is the same word that we get our word pharmacy from. And this is also about using any kinds of drugs, any kinds of potions or spells. That's encapsulated in sorcery. These are counter to what Holy Spirit would have us to do. And idolatry is possibly something many of us think is obsolete. We do not worship idols. We don't worship 
little man-made statues and things. And we don't believe the average person, in particular Christians, would actually do this. But we're all guilty of idolatry. When we allow something to take God's rightful place in our lives, think about the fact that Jesus is our Lord, Saviour and King. Is that true for you? So often people replace God with their own opinion. And when they're corrected from Scripture, some will say, I will believe what I want. They've replaced the truth of God's word with what they want to believe. Who then is their God? When it comes to worship, who or what do we worship? And I firmly believe that all of mankind, all of women, are designed to worship. And all humanity does. It's just a very large portion to not worship God. Think about all those guys who worship their sporting clubs. And they will actually spend more time doing that than spending time with God. Is that their idol? Idolatry and sorcery takes the worship, praise, acknowledgement and adoration that is rightfully God's and gives it to another. It's something that was designed for good. We were designed to worship, praise, honour and glorify God. But it's been corrupted. And Holy Spirit would never lead people to go that way. Then there's these relational sins as well. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. These are sins against other people. They're all about how we treat others. God is greatly concerned with how we do treat each other. And we as Christians know we have to say we don't hate anyone. I've had people come to me and some of the things they say is blatantly obvious that they hate someone. You say, you really hate that person? Oh no, I would never hate anyone. You're not supposed to hate people as a Christian. I just want to break their necks or I just want to throttle them. I just want to punch them out. It's like, well, that's not love, so what is it? But so many people have these outbursts against others. They focus on destroying or tearing down people. That is counter to God's command to love. And whether you will admit it or not, you manifest hatred when you say those types of things. Love is an inner motivation to be kind and to do good to others. And hate is the opposite of that. Strife refers to the attitude of rivalry which results in quarrels and arguments and is manifested in a combative or argumentative uh, spirit. Uh, jealousy speaks about the desire you ha to have something that is not actually yours, to possess what someone else has, whether it be a position, material possessions, a particular relationship or a particular skill. Fits of anger are those who are unable to control themselves and prone to those outbursts. And rivalries are those who only do what they do in order to gain for themselves. They are the people who are constantly scheming and move when there's a benefit in something for themselves. 
And I ask the question frequently, what is in it for me? What is in this for me? And they're the ones with selfish ambitions. Dissensions and divisions are close to each other. Dissensions speak of those who work to make the members of a community fly apart rather than bringing them together and being united. And division speaks about those who speak of their choices and opinions and seek to divide over the incorrect opinions that they believe others have when really it is them that has those incorrect opinions. And they're uncompromising in what they say and they believe everyone else is wrong. Envy is when someone becomes bitter because of what others have, which they themselves do not have. And what we need to realise is, God made us for relationship. He's called us to love our neighbour, and our neighbour is everyone. He calls for unity in the church. And all of the above attitudes, everything I've just spoken about, are counter to the blessing that God intended for the human race. And Holy Spirit would not call Christians to move or act in those manners would not call them to do such things and the final thing are the social sins and again this isn't an exhaustive list there are others drunkenness and orgies or revelry these are the sins that are often committed in the presence or company of others and these are both sins which show a lack of restraint and drunkenness is obviously drinking alcohol excessively which is strictly forbidden in scripture and revelry Revelry is not speaking against having parties, but it's speaking against unrestrained partying. And I've experienced total transformations in people I thought I knew when they partied like this. They became someone totally opposite to their normal character. Someone who was a nuisance and a troublemaker and I would prefer not to associate with. And this is again taking something which God intended as good and abusing it. Now, I don't want you to hear me saying, go and enjoy a drink. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying, I don't drink alcohol myself. I used to, and I used to enjoy the odd drink. When I became a pastor, I elected not to actually drink alcohol, simply because I think it set a bad example to people. It doesn't matter how much I drink. If you're walking past a restaurant, you see this much wine in my glass, and that's how much I've had. You may say, well... Pastor Charlie drinks, must be okay for me. And I could cause you to stumble in doing that. So I made the choice to not drink. Don't hear me saying you cannot drink. I still have people who come to my house who enjoy a glass of wine. I still have people who drink a beer around me. It honestly doesn't offend me. Personally, I think it's a better choice not to drink. That's just me though. But I'm not going to throw that conviction upon you. And scripture does not command people to not drink. It's simply not true. Jesus' first miracle was to turn water into wine. And it was good wine. In fact, it was the best wine that they tasted. And guys, whether you like it or not, it was alcoholic. Certainly not the alcoholic level that we have in wine today, but it was alcoholic. Psalm 104 says that God brings forth from the earth wine that gladdens the heart. 1 Timothy 5.23 is Paul telling Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach. And in fact, that's how wine was drunk a lot in biblical days. A bit of wine was added to the water because there was all these bugs in the water and people got sick by it. So they put a bit of alcohol in it and it actually helped kill those things, helped make it more palatable. God created that for good. And we've taken it. and We've abused it. We've made it something God never intended it to be. 
I'm going to get a lot of emails, aren't I? Like I'm going on holidays, I'm going to ignore them. But to take what God intended for good and to use it to become drunk and to indulge in unrestrained revelry is abhorrent to God. And Holy Spirit would never lead people to go that way. But what Holy Spirit does do is lead people in the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm sure you've had that frustrating experience as Paul has and as I have myself where you're wanting to live for Jesus but you mess up and it seems the work of the flesh, that which opposes God, is not only around you so much, it's also in you and you don't seem to be able to fight against these things so times. And sometimes what's around you is so graphic that you think, how, how can I fight against this? What's exciting is God is big enough and powerful enough to change both our perception and our reality. When we submit ourselves to him, the fruit of the Spirit will become more dominant in our lives and the corrupt works of the flesh will fade. Galatians 5, 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such thing there is no law. No law. And it's not fruits. It's fruit. You may think that's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Because when it says fruit, this is what Holy Spirit does for each one of us. If it's fruits, it indicates that perhaps you only get one or two of those things. This is what happens for every Christian when they give themselves fully to Jesus. And so the fruit of the Spirit is all of these things. And I want you to think about fruit for a bit. Fruit isn't produced by harder work. The plant doesn't strain a little bit harder or anything like that. The fruit is produced when the branch continues to abide in the trunk. It just gets fed and it grows. It's doing what it was designed to do. And fruit reproduces itself. The seeds are in the fruit. The plant reproduces from the fruit. And fruit is attractive. It's got flavour, it's got taste, it draws. And fruit nourishes. So when we're submitted to God and his spirit produces love, it's a love that is beyond the world's reasoning and understanding. It's a love that loves the people who aren't easy to love. It's a love that allows you to interact with people you don't even like. It's a love that God first and foremost showed me when I was a sinner without hope it's that love it's a love that changes the world and we have joy and this is the joy that is present regardless of outward circumstances it's a joy that allowed Paul to sing while chained in prisons it's a joy that is not dependent upon outward circumstances or experiences who my friends are it's a joy that I have because of who I am in Christ what he has done for me and the hope that he now gives me. What great joy to know that we're going to spend all of eternity with him. I pray that you have that hope. I pray that you have that assurance. And it's a hope that also gives me peace, a peace that's so different to anything else. It's a peace that comes in knowing that my life, my times are secure in God's hands. They are not going to be snatched before he says so. 
and he knows my days. And when my time comes, he will be there to meet me. No one and nothing can take my life from me until he is ready and until he says. And because of that great peace, I can be patient. God's timing is perfect. And I may pray and ask him to hasten his return. I may pray and ask him to give me a certain answer to prayer that I so desperately want and I want it now. I may want him to deal with something that is burdensome to me. But I can be patient. I can bear that adversity, that affliction, that pain and suffering because God knows and he holds me and he strengthens me and he encourages me. And with an eternal view on life, I can be kind and good. This isn't me. You've heard me say it before. It's Christ in me. The only good I have or do is because of Jesus. He allows me to be generous with my time, with my finances, with my assets, because he has let me see that they're not mine. They're his, for his purposes and his glory. All I have is on loan from him. Likewise, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they're all blessings from him. And if we're living in submission to him, the fruit of the Spirit will be manifested in our lives. And when the fruit of the Spirit is manifested, when we're submitted to him, there's no need for law. The life and conduct that Paul is referring to is what lawmakers everywhere want from people. That's why law is put in place. They simply want law-abiding people. And friends, we have victory in Christ. Paul is not content in leaving the Galatians or us wondering how to live or what we should do, so he concludes this section of Scripture with some reminders. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There is a place for our flesh and all our ungodly passions and desires. That's what he's saying to me in this verse. He wants us to nail them to the cross. Each and every time a temptation, a sin, our earthly desires rear their ugly heads. He says, take them to the cross of Jesus, nail them to the cross afresh. He wants us to run to the cross and do that. We're no longer controlled by them. They do not have dominion over us, which we're told in Romans. They have been dealt with by Jesus in the finished work on the cross. My flesh and all of its passions and all of its desires have been crucified with Christ. As we return to the cross again and again, we're reminded of the great cost of our Saviour so we could have relationship with him. We're reminded afresh of our call to take up our cross and follow him. We're reminded in looking on that cross that the death of flesh is painful. Jesus suffered so greatly. The death of our flesh will not come without suffering, without struggles. And it reminds us how serious this is. Paul says, live in step with the Spirit. It's the Spirit that has given you life. Now let him be the one who directs and guides you. 
Don't be conceited. Don't think of yourself as always right and everyone around you wrong. We're almost done anyway. Tonight, I want you to think about what has been said. I want you to focus particularly on that list which reveals the works of the flesh. I want you to read through it a couple of times and I want you to spend some time on your knees before God. I want you to ask him to reveal to you any of that attitude and nature that is still manifested in your life. To reveal those things of the flesh that you struggle with. Some of you are sitting here and you're already thinking of those things. Holy Spirit has put his finger on you. And if you've identified those things, I ask you, I beg you, come to God. To that cross and nail those things to the cross. Confess to God that you've done these things and you know that they're against him. Counter to him, counter to his purposes and ask him to forgive you. He is faithful and just. He will forgive you. His word tells us that. Then you need to think through how you're going to not commit that sin again. You may need to set up accountability partners. You may need to think about what you're going to do if tempted. If you have habitual sin in your life, it's something that you're going to keep going back to. You're going to need help working through that. Seek someone who will be able to help you work through that. The pastors are more than willing to be a part of that if you would let them. This is our first week meeting physically since COVID hit. Wouldn't it be awesome if each of us renewed our relationship with Christ? Wouldn't it be awesome if from this time forward, the people of SDBC became 100% united in purpose and in vision? A people who manifest the fruit of the Spirit who would then be known for their love for each other. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your love. And Lord, that love is so clearly evident in what Jesus did upon the cross for us. And Lord, I ask that we'll reflect on that as we think about those things which still lead us, the temptations that come, the sins we commit. I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we'll humbly submit ourselves before you, that we'll ask for your forgiveness, that we'll repent, that we'll have a desire to live for you. And Lord, I pray by power of Holy Spirit, none of us will treat this as a joke. I ask we'll do business with you tonight either here in this auditorium or with the people at home, Lord. I pray they'll humble themselves before you, that I'll humble myself before you and be resolved today 
to live fully submitted to you so that the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in my life. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.